you would open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and with the Lord's help this morning, we will finish what we began last week and looking at the first three verses before moving on uh, through the rest of this chapter and ultimately the rest of the book, if the Lord allows us to do so. Let me pray before we begin, okay? Father, we need your help now. As Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, these are spiritual truths, and they can only be spiritually appraised and understood. And we are not spiritual people by nature, we are carnal people, we are fleshly, earthy people. And so Holy Spirit, we come this morning now to this portion of our time of worshiping You as Father, Son, and Spirit, and we confess we stand in in great, great need, complete need. For we have nothing in ourselves either to give or to receive apart from Your work in us. Nicodemus had to learn that lesson. We need to learn that lesson. And we need to learn it now so that we can receive what You have as a rich feast for us spread out in the Word of God this morning and We desire to eat, and so Holy Spirit, help us to eat and devour Your Word and to understand it. We pray that You would do with it what only You can. Speak to minds to cause us to understand where only You can. Speak to our hearts and cause us to believe where there is no belief. Father, cause us to love where there has never been a natural love for You. Humble us now by Your Word and exalt Yourself in it. You must increase, we now must decrease as we hear from You in Your Word. Make it so, Lord Jesus, for Your own honor and glory. Amen. Let me begin again by reading for context back in John chapter 2, verse 23, because again, while chapter divisions can be helpful for locating portions of Scripture, they are not helpful in dividing up stories at times as the Word of God and as the events of Jesus' life unfold. And so we read this with an understanding that John 3 doesn't occur within a vacuum. It occurs on the heels of what Jesus has just done. And we find that in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many had believed in His name, observing the signs which He was doing. And you'll remember the sign of which John is most immediately referring to here is the cleansing of the temple. He has cleansed the temple. He has rattled the Jewish religious establishment to its core. But Jesus, on His part, was not entrusting Himself to them, for He knew all men. And because He did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In the middle of this storm, 
in the middle of this confusion that Jesus brings to the religious establishment of his day, in, in the middle of Nicodemus' own confusion, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And like a bolt of lightning, Jesus wastes no time with this man who is seeking the truth. And I believe Nicodemus is genuinely seeking. I don't believe he's sent by the Pharisees for a nefarious purpose to you know, to ferret Jesus out. The text doesn't bear that. John 7 doesn't bear that to be true. John 19 does not bear that to be true. In fact, I believe with all my heart that Nicodemus came to trust Christ as his Savior. He, he came to embrace the Messiah as his Redeemer. I think John 19 bears that out. He's no longer coming under the cover of darkness. He's at the cross with Joseph of Arimathea. And he's one who is helping to bury Jesus publicly. He's no longer afraid or ashamed. And yet, here he's not quite there yet. And Jesus pulls no punches with this man. He, he doesn't hold back from this man the truth that Nicodemus so desperately needs. And, and using the metaphor of the storm as we did for the cleansing of the temple, and now with Nicodemus coming at night, Jesus, like a, a bolt of lightning against the night sky, brilliantly displays his omniscience to Nicodemus. And again, I will remind you, notice how this transpires. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he does not ask a question, does he? Look at your Bibles. Nicodemus isn't asking a question. Nicodemus is making a statement. And he's making a statement that, that he knows that Jesus, surely you must be sent from God. Surely you must be, a, at minimum, a great teacher, if not the teacher. Because how else would anyone do what you've done unless God is with him? There's no question there. Certainly Nicodemus is seeking, but he's not asking. And notice that Jesus' response is an answer to a question that hasn't even been asked. He doesn't say, Nicodemus, you know, Please phrase the question correctly. Please ask the question correctly. And then I'll, I'll give you the answer you're looking for. Jesus, in his omniscience, gives Nicodemus an answer he doesn't even know he needs. He cuts through everything and goes straight to the, the heart of the matter. And the answer is so profound. It is so sufficient. It is so mind-blowingly powerful. Nicodemus struggles to accept it. Because he hasn't even, again, fully formed the question in his own mind, let alone be able to formulate it with words. He's truly the victim of a shock and awe campaign by Jesus in the temple. Who does this? Surely he must be from God. Because no one can do it unless you, you don't, you don't, you don't, Preach like the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Mark chapter 1. You speak as one having what? Authority. Something different here. And I know it. Again, as one commentator says, the Lord answers not Nicodemus' words, but his thoughts. Andreas Kostenberger sees that 
he thinks that Jesus is rebuking Nicodemus. I don't know that that's necessarily the truth in the way we would see it, but I do believe Jesus is tearing down Nicodemus' false conceptions in order that Nicodemus might come to know the truth. Gordon Cuddy writes this, Whereas Nicodemus had come to discuss the validity of Jesus' ministry, Jesus had plans the other way and decided to discuss the reality of Nicodemus' faith. Nicodemus comes to question Jesus, and Jesus flips the tables just as he did in the temple, and he says, no, we're not here to talk about me, we're here to talk about you. Don Carson says, even more fundamentally, if there is any possibility at all that Jesus is the promised Messiah, it would be more fitting for Nicodemus to ask himself if he is ready for the Messiah, not if Jesus is the proper Messiah. Nicodemus needs to examine his own heart, and Jesus helps him do that by the way that he responds, even though Nicodemus doesn't ask to be responded to in that particular way. It's a faith, I believe, that has not yet come to fruition, even though Nicodemus does appear, from all accounts, to be looking for answers. And Nicodemus is not a harsh man. He's not coming as a critic. He's not coming as an atheist to accuse Jesus. And so he comes politely, doesn't he? He says, listen, he calls him rabbi. You didn't call people rabbi. In Nicodemus's day, unless they'd been to school to be a rabbi, that was a no-no. That was a that was a major religious and cultural faux pas. And yet Nicodemus realizes there's something different about Jesus, and he ascribes to Jesus the status of one highly revered in Israel, rabbi, teacher. Even though he's not yet close to believing, he's respectful. He's close, I should say, yet not believing at this point. But he still has enough desire. God has placed within Nicodemus enough faith at least to know where to come to get the right answers. And he comes to Jesus. What is your faith like? Is your faith like Nicodemus? Where you really are coming to get answers? To find the truth? Or are you coming to test Jesus to see if he might be a good fit for you. Saving faith doesn't come that way. Saving faith, I believe, ultimately comes like Nicodemus coming to get the real answers, to get to the bottom of things, even when we may not be able to fully verbalize it. Or we surrender to whatever it is that Jesus is and Whatever it is that Jesus will say, that's the question we need to ask. Are you surrendered to whatever Jesus will say? Whatever truth the Scriptures give us about Jesus, are you there? Or are we like the Pharisees who are skeptical of Jesus? Nicodemus is about to find out that in order to come to Jesus and in order to experience the power of Jesus in his life as he had observed in others' lives, would take a full and wholesale surrender of himself to the truth Jesus is proclaiming about himself. 
Don Carson goes on to say, So Jews in Jesus' day best anticipated the coming of Messiah when they most wanted to be transformed in line with the promise of life under the Messiah's age. And to enjoy a new heart for God, cleansing and fullness of the Spirit. When a Jewish person was willing to do that and embrace that, and that was their mindset, then and only then could they really grasp the heart of the matter. And that's what Jesus does here, isn't it? He goes straight to the heart of the matter, which was Nicodemus's heart. In John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus is not the issue in John chapter 3, verse 3. His identity and His message are settled reality. They were in Nicodemus' day. They are in our day. They will be for all eternity. Those are not open for debate. Rather, what is open for debate is Nicodemus' heart, your heart, and my heart. Where do we stand in relation to the Messiah? The issue is whether or not Nicodemus will reject the system that he had so long lived under that Jesus had just overturned in such dramatic fashion. And will he instead live dependently out of faith on the Messiah? It's whether or not, Nicodemus, are you going to reject that and accept this? Or are you going to continue this and reject who I am? Now, I believe that Nicodemus is as sincere a seeker as one could possibly be. I think Nicodemus was a kind man. I think he was as sincere and as well-meaning and as well-intentioned and genuinely honest in his curiosity. But I want you to notice something. Maybe you're here this morning and You've not embraced Jesus Christ for who He is and what He's done for you. Perhaps that's you. And you can be a kind person and you can be a gentle person and you can be an honest person and you can be a sincere person. But unless you embrace Jesus fully for who He is and what He came to do by dying in your place for your sins, you will never be saved. Nicodemus is still miles away from salvation at this point, even though he seems to have all the right attitudes and kindness and gentleness about him. He's still miles away from where he needs to be because he's not yet fully submitted to the teaching of Jesus and the kingdom. Some have said, well, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he just wanted to engage in a theological debate. Something, by the way, Nicodemus would have been perfectly at home with and actually relished. Notice how Jesus addresses him in John chapter 10. The teacher of Israel. What do teachers do? They debate. They teach. They argue points. And so, While that may have been true of Nicodemus, I think it's far greater than that. I don't think Nicodemus came to debate and argue with Jesus. I think he's genuinely seeking, and yet he's still far away. And and Nicodemus doesn't understand that his heart is the problem. He's not yet surrendered, and he's not yet really believing, even though he's getting closer. And here Nicodemus is a representative of all of us. 
For those of us who know Jesus as Savior, as Lord, we were here once, weren't we? Wrestling, struggling, questioning, maybe even rebelling. And so God, in His mercy and His goodness, overcomes the hardness of our own hearts. Overcomes our preconceived ideas. Overcomes everything that is in the way between us and the Savior, between us and salvation, and makes our salvation a reality. Friends, we know this all of our hearts. We are born wicked. Sinful. Jeremiah says, desperately evil is the human heart. Who can know it? I mean, nobody can even diagnose their own heart let alone clean it up to come to God. Another commentator says this, so full of thorns and choked with noxious weeds was Nicodemus that there was scarcely room for spiritual teaching. All the era of false teaching of all those years of Nicodemus being a Pharisee had just made it hard for him. And yet, we have to hand it to him again. There's that tension. He, at least he's talking to Jesus. I think we can safely say by the end of John's Gospel, the Spirit led him all the way to Jesus. Think about Nicodemus. Think about what he had to struggle against. And maybe, maybe this is some of you here this morning. Maybe you can identify with some of these things. Nicodemus had a lineage. He had a spiritual, religious upbringing and lineage that he was concerned to maintain. Otherwise, he would have come in broad daylight. No, he has to come at night. Why? I don't want anybody to know. At least not yet. I don't want anybody to know. Like Paul, he was a master of the religious system. Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4-6. through six, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh... I have more. I see what you did there and I raise you one. Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I've got a pedigree that nobody can match. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. I knew it all. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. Who's, who can say that? Any, any of you? No, I'm more. As to the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I am the man. Nicodemus has that same pedigree, that same lineage, and so many are looking to them, and there is so much pressure upon them socially, in the realm of religion, familially, with their families. Nicodemus is a man under great pressure no wonder he's struggling maybe you're struggling maybe you're here this morning and you say you know i was raised in a christian home i've I, i've played the game of a christian for many years but i've never really believed never really surrendered i, I and, and I, I i i would come to jesus at night too because i don't want to be embarrassed Hey, I've got good news for you. Jesus didn't turn Nicodemus away and He won't turn you away. He came to save and to seek sinners of all kinds. 
those with a pedigree and those without a pedigree in religion. Nicodemus had works. He was a model of outward righteousness and yet empty hearts. How sad to live a life of outward righteousness, of outward verbiage. And we know the right things to say and we know the right things to do. And we know where we ought to be on Sunday mornings. And we know how to give and we know to do all those things. And yet to have an empty heart. That's Nicodemus. Maybe it's you. Paul would say, Nicodemus, even your attempt at seeking truth and seeking righteousness and seeking God, that is even a sham according to Romans 3 because there is none who seeks after righteousness. No, not one. Not in their lost state. None seek after God. Nicodemus was a man of great knowledge. He was an expert in everything related to the Old Testament. And that is what Jesus uses somewhat in verse 10 as leverage, doesn't he? Oh, wait, wait, Nicodemus, aren't you the teacher of Israel, the the chief theologian? And you don't know this? Don't you know your own Bible? Man, have you not read Ezekiel? Have you not read Jeremiah? And yet you question Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an expert And while he recognizes the telltale signs that that this is the Messiah, I'm still not sure. Even though he knows there's signs, I'm still not sure. Even though he knows there's great authority and great power, I'm just not ready to surrender to that yet. But I do want more information. And so there's a very difficult tension between Jesus here in Nicodemus. And Jesus, as the Savior that He is, notice His response. Nicodemus, truly, truly. Nicodemus, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And what I say is truth. For I am truth. Right? John 14, 6. Jesus just cuts through all of it without even being asked. Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter, which was Nicodemus's heart in relation to who Jesus is is everything else in nicodemus's life is laid bare and insufficient nicodemus you got nothing you got nothing nicodemus all that you are all that you have all that you have learned means nothing maybe you're here this morning you say i don't believe in jesus i wouldn't consider myself a follower of Jesus. I wouldn't consider myself a Christian as you're talking about, Brian. I don't have any of those things. That's okay. Jesus is not deterred by that. Jesus has come to give answers. He's come to reveal truth to those who will receive it. Unless we think Jesus is being cruel to Nicodemus, and unless we see Jesus' answer as a stroke of hostility, just in its bluntness and just getting to the point, you think about it wrong if that's how you see it. For what Jesus offers here is a stroke of grace. It's a stroke of a loving, omniscient Savior who knows everything. 
How many of you have ever been part of one of those awkward conversations where you're talking to someone and you're trying to make small talk and you're a little nervous around them and all of a sudden they just cut the conversation off and just go straight for the jugular. And you're kind of like, okay, I guess we're going there. That's Jesus. Nicodemus is, oh, all the, you know, trivialities and niceties. Just Nicodemus, it's over. And it's not over in that way because I'm angry with you. It's not over because I'm I'm upset with you because you're not good enough. That's not it at all, Nicodemus. I'm just going to stop it right here and go straight to what you need. I'm going to go straight to the truth you need to hear. How could Jesus, think about it, brothers and sisters, think about this. How could Jesus, the very embodiment of truth, the very embodiment of grace, the very embodiment of authority and compassion and salvation, how could He allow this very sincere man to continue to perpetuate lies? He says, Nicodemus, let's just stop with all the other stuff and let's go to what you need. Why? I'm a God of truth. I'm a God of salvation. I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God of grace. And that's what we are here to talk about tonight. Regardless of why you think you came, I'm going to tell you why you came. So here's the message. You see, that's not abrupt. That's not rude. That's not improper. That is God. Who will not tolerate lies. Even nice lies. Now, I've kind of punched on Nicodemus a little bit. But if a man like Nicodemus, with all of his kindness, and he was, with all of his accolades and achievements and status, If that man needed a new heart and that man needed a new birth, how much more do you and I need a new heart and a new birth? Even more. We say with Paul, don't we? We are the chief of sinners. So how does Jesus do this? How does he expose Nicodemus's error? How does he cut to the quick? How does he get to the point? He gets to the point by going straight to the truth. Notice what Jesus says. Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How do you expose error? Invade with the truth. How do you lay bare misconceptions and misunderstandings with the truth. And that is exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't argue with Nicodemus. He doesn't say, Nicodemus, open your scroll and let's go back to Genesis and I'm going to argue every verse, how I am present in every verse and how it's all pointing forward to me and how I have fulfilled all these prophecies. I'm going to argue with you point by point, Nicodemus. And and by the end, you're going to be so convinced in your mind with all these facts, I'm going to wow you to faith. That's not what he says. 
He just presents the truth. He simply and forcefully states what is true so that truth will be magnified and lies will be exposed and done away with. What is the truth that Jesus presents? The unmistakable necessity and nature of the new birth. And for the rest of John chapter 3, that's what he's going to talk about. What is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to see the kingdom of God? And Jesus is unequivocal. He is unapologetic. He, or it's, why? Because eternal life is unequivocal. Because the gospel is unequivocal. Because it, it is uncompromising. And notice Jesus' terminology to this end. He says, Nicodemus, unless... That's the gauntlet this morning. Unless, I'm going to lay it down, Nicodemus, unless... Nicodemus has to be thinking, uh-oh, here it comes. This is, it's about to go to the next level. Nicodemus, there are only two options for you. May I say to you this morning, if you are here, if you've been born physically the first time, which I'm looking at you, so I know you have. If you have been born and you are hearing my voice, you have two options. You can stay where you are. And you can continue to live willingly in a world of lies that will lead you to death. Or, you can experience the new birth from above that brings life through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Those are your only two options. And that's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. You're not getting there as a Pharisee. You're not getting there as a Jew. You're not getting there as a scholar. You'll get there because you've been born again. Now I want you to notice something interesting in the text this morning. And this might be a bit of a system-rattling reality for you. But I want you to look at the text this morning and and then this afternoon when you go home, I want you to go through the rest of John chapter 3 and I want you to see and, and test what I'm about to say, okay? Test it according to the Word of God. Notice what Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus to do. He doesn't tell him to do. To do anything he doesn't even tell nicodemus at this point you need to believe nicodemus that doesn't come until later because nicodemus is still uh how do we say it dead in trespasses and sins he still can't see he can't hear he, he, he he's not been made alive He doesn't call 
Nicodemus to do anything. Rather, he tells Nicodemus that regeneration and the new birth is the cause of faith. It is not caused by faith. We believe because we have been born again. We've been made alive. God's opened our eyes. He's opened our ears. He's opened our mind. He has opened our heart as a living person that can then believe and receive a gift of faith according to Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that's not of yourself. Nicodemus, it's a gift of God. Not of works. That's why Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus. Nicodemus, here's step one, step two, step three. Because you know what every one of us will do? If somebody says the way to salvation is step one, two, and three, you know what we'll do because we're sheep? That's not me. That's Jesus saying that. Right? We're sheep. You know what we'll start to do? We'll start to think step one, two, and three saved me rather than God. And so Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I've got a plan. I've got a three-step program, a five-step program. Here's all you need to do. Here's what you need to say. Why? He wants Nicodemus to understand one thing. I am the Savior. I have come to redeem. A.W. Pink, writing so many years ago, says it this way when he speaks of how Jesus handles the situation. He says this. It is not how man should live that we are first instructed by Christ in this gospel. Rather, how men are made spiritually alive. A man cannot live before he is born. Nor can a dead man regulate his life. I would add even in belief. Jesus doesn't command or invite Nicodemus to participate in a series of actions. He isn't told to go join a church. He isn't told to give money. He isn't told to get baptized. He isn't told to observe uh, communion. He isn't told to go participate in mass. He's not told any of that. Now think about Nicodemus for a moment. What is Nicodemus used to doing? Action. He's a man of action, spiritually speaking. To go to the synagogue, to give alms to the poor, to do this and to do that. Nicodemus is hardwired and he's saying, all right, here it is. Here comes the kingdom. Give it to me, Jesus. What do I do? And Jesus just short circuits his mind. You don't do anything, Nicodemus. In fact, I'll preempt a little bit for next week. Nicodemus. What role did you have to play in your physical birth? Nothing. Same for your spiritual birth. Let me put it on terms you can understand, Nicodemus. Let me use analogies that will work with you. Being a man of action, being a woman of action, a woman of works, gets you nowhere. You have failed, even though your actions have been, from a human perspective, impeccable. Your birth, Nicodemus, will not be brought about by you. It won't be brought about by the other Pharisees. It'll come from another place. J.C. Ryle, the great 19th century British preacher. who, If you don't read J.C. Ryle, you are robbing yourself. This man 
had a warm heart for God, a love for the gospel that challenges me every time I read him. He says this, Jesus calls it a birth. No man is the author of his own existence and no man can quicken or make alive his own soul. We might as well expect a dead man to give himself life as expect a natural man to make himself spiritual. A power from above must be put in exercise. Even that same power which created the world. Man can do many things, but he cannot give life either to himself or to others. To give life is the peculiar prerogative of God. Well may our Lord declare that we need to be born. Again. What Nicodemus needs is a new heart with new faith, with new allegiances, with new desires. And that can only come from one place, above. And so Jesus here introduces the new birth. Now most of our English translations, mine included, has the word translated this way, to be born again. And that's not a bad translation. That is true. You must be born again but more often than not this word carries in the new testament the understanding of being born from above both are accurate both are true because if one is born from above from god himself where god resides and where god lives he is sure to be born again if you are born by god who is above then certainly it is a new birth And here I want you to flip back with me to John chapter 1, please. To get this full understanding that this is not the first time we've encountered this truth already in this gospel. And we will encounter it many times hence as we work our way through it. But as many, John says in chapter 1 verse 12, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Who's doing the action here? It's God, isn't it? God is giving the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born. How are you born? That's the question this morning. How are you born? How does the new birth work? Certainly, it yields itself ultimately in belief and in faith. But how are we born again to believe? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's how. That's how that happened. That's how you came to know Christ as your Savior. That's how you came to believe. Because God birthed you from death to life. To be born from above by Him and thus given new life that we might believe. Brothers and sisters, the new birth is something affected upon us, not because of us or through us or in us as if it were our own doing. Jesus is very clear. Nicodemus, you need a new birth from above that will make you new again. Now Nicodemus takes Jesus' word as understanding and interpreted as meaning again. 
But Jesus wishes to emphasize the element of the word that has to do with coming from above. Primarily and then again. God is the source of life. God is the source of all things. God is the one who brings life out of nothing. Ex nihilo, created from nothing. Let me just diverge for a moment, if you'll indulge me with a rabbit trail. That is why Genesis matters. That is why a God who creates out of nothing by divine fiat, by divine word, matters. Because all the way back in Genesis 1, we have the attributes and the character and the nature and the actions of God that prepare us to receive the spiritual birth. How did we get here physically? Because God spoke it into existence. If we deny that, then we've taken the legs out from under God. And at that point, yeah, bring in Darwin. Why not? But if Genesis 1 and 2 is true, and it is, then we must understand God all the way back then to be doing then what he's doing in John chapter 1, 2, and 3. He's creating something where there was previously nothing. He is birthing out of nothing, something. It's not new. It's the way he's always done it. That's who he is. That's how he works. Which is utter foolishness now as we look at our own age and our own world around us that that now we're told through transhumanism, oh, you're gods, we're going to make humanity, we're going to create. No, you're not. You're not God. Only God can do that. That's utter foolishness and it's utter blasphemy. Whether it's Nicodemus, if he had pushed back on Jesus, or we push back, or the progressive atheist push back, it's all blasphemy against God. Why? He creates life. Don't take that away from him. Leave it in his hands. And, and notice that John uses a passive verb here. He is born again, birthed again. And, and, and as you study this particular word, as John uses it throughout, not only the Gospel of John, but through the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you find this, that whenever John uses this word, born again, it's always in the passive. Nobody else borns themselves. Nobody else brings themselves to life. Physically or spiritually. The precedent is clear. And so John uses the passive verb. We are born again. No moms, you understand this. It'd be slightly offensive if all of your children rose up and said, We don't owe you anything. We brought ourselves into this world. Wait a minute. I've got something to say about that. Let me stop you right there, young man, young lady. I've got the scars to prove it. Right? I mean, is that not true? How much more the living God 
Hey, God, we did this. No, you didn't. I caused you to do it then. No, you didn't. Well, I believed and therefore then you were obligated. No, no, no. You took your first breath, spiritually speaking, because I birthed you. You responded in faith. You cried out in faith because I'd already made you alive, just like a newborn baby. Nicodemus, you must be born again. It explains our spiritual origin. How did we come to be? Mommy, Daddy, where do babies come from? From God. Where do baby Christians come from? From God. He alone creates life. He alone gives life. Nicodemus, the kingdom you are seeking to be part of will come upon you. You will not come upon it. Murray Harris says, conversion is a new birth produced by the Spirit of being reborn from above. Nicodemus couldn't wait for the day that the Messiah would come and the kingdom of God would be ushered into the world. Oh, they waited for it. They prepared for it. They had a beautiful temple that awaited it with the throne. I mean, it, they were ready in Nicodemus's day. They prepared themselves through rigorous study, through fastidious law-keeping. And Jesus comes and He says, Nicodemus, this is going to hurt, but you need it. Let me rip that band-aid off. Let me expose the rotting filth of your own diseased soul to you so that I can heal it. And Jesus strips it all the way down to the bone. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you won't enter by your preparation. One dictionary in defining just simply the linguistic value of this word, born again, says this, that only those who have been born by the supernatural work of the Spirit comprehend their true origin and are thus able to enter into the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Only those who have been born by the supernatural work of the Spirit <clears throat> can comprehend their true origin and are thus able to enter the kingdom of God. Why? It humbles you. It strips you of all works. Even the work of, dare I say it, man-made faith. Brothers and sisters, may I just kindly remind you, your faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Big difference. Big difference. You will wake up some days and your faith will feel so incredibly weak. And if you're dependent upon your faith, you will doubt yourself into misery. But if we look to Jesus, as Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to do, There's never-ending eternal assurance. Hope. Life. God must then birth us into the kingdom. So that this becomes our reality. Our confident foundation that no man can take away. 
So Jesus says, Nicodemus, unless this happens, you'll not see the kingdom of God. And he's not referring to physical sight alone. Jesus is referring to experiencing in the positive way the rule of God, the the life that comes from being related to the king. He's saying you won't have that, Nicodemus. You won't experience the joy and the life and the power of the kingdom in your life unless you are birthed from above. Born again. Born anew. New heart. New allegiances. New submission. You say, well, what do you do about faith? What do you, what do, you do about believing? I mean, John 3.16 is just 13 verses away. And I say, amen. Yes, it is. But you can't get to John 3.16 unless you first go to John 3. Verse 3. It will be given to us in the new birth to believe. Other places in the New Testament state it exactly that way. It's given to you both to believe. Unless you're born again, unless God births you, Nicodemus, you'll never see the kingdom of God. You'll never be submitted to its rule. You'll never find its life and its power coursing over you and in you. Now, Nicodemus did not receive what he came to get that night. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get a debate. He didn't get, you know, proof and dialogue and all these sorts of things. But if we're permitted in heaven to approach Nicodemus someday and ask him, I'm pretty sure Nicodemus is going to say, I'm so glad I didn't get what I came for. I'm glad I got what I needed, not what I wanted. I want you to notice something interesting here just in closing. Look at verse 2. This verse has an interest, or this passage has an interesting kind of uh, protagonist and antagonist type statement to it notice what jesus or nicodemus says to jesus we know no one can do the signs that you do unless god is with him and jesus says let me answer that with a similar statement no man comes to the kingdom unless he's born again let me match you nicodemus we're not just simply talking about who's from god and who's not from god we're talking about your soul You must be born again. You must be born from above. Robert Linsky writes this, Jesus' word regarding the new birth shatters once for all every supposed excellence of man's attainment, all merit of human deeds, all prerogatives of natural birth or station, Spiritual birth is something one undergoes, not something one produces. What a blow for Nicodemus. Ouch. And yet we know, Nicodemus came to know, that God does birth sinners 
into saints. He does give life where there is only spiritual death. He does give forgiveness where there is only judgment for sin. God does do those things. But we must come to the point where we confess He alone does those things. It's not me. It's not God responding to me. It is God doing this. It is God at work. To miss that point is to miss the Savior. Jesus Himself will say, I came to seek and to save the lost. I am the Good Shepherd. Who lays down his life for the sheep. I am. I am. I do. I do. To miss Jesus then is to perish in utter darkness. Utter lostness. Utter lies. Would you this morning bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess to Him, Lord, I am lost and I am dying. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And apart from you, there is no birth. There is no life. And there is no hope. You must birth me again. That's the only response we can possibly have. There is no hope in me, in anything I can do. You must save. You must give new life. You must rescue me from this kingdom of darkness. That strips everything away from us, doesn't it? That takes us to Matthew chapter 7 and the narrow gate. To have everything else stripped, we come to the kingdom of God bare. Nobody knows that better than Nicodemus. To those... I. Think about Nicodemus and certainly there were many Pharisees in Nicodemus' day who then meet the end of Matthew chapter 7. Lord, Lord! But we did! But we, we believed. You wouldn't believe the faith that I had. Have you ever wondered how it is that Jesus says, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? you ever wondered how it is that Jesus says, depart from me? I never knew you. Why is that? They weren't birthed from above. They're birthed through their own merits. Whatever that merit was. Jesus says, Nicodemus, it's actually not you at all. 
It's me. Unless you are born from above, from my Father, through me, you'll never see the kingdom of God. You'll never see it. May we seek in the middle of this storm a standing Savior. Because it is devastating even to us. To, 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 well, I just feel so powerless. That's the point. You're supposed to. But, but I, I just feel like there's something I need. That's the point. There's nothing you can do. Look at Jesus. Look to the Savior. Look to Christ. He alone saves. And when He saves, how He saves. To the uttermost and forever. What a Savior. Father, we desire to be stripped of our pride. We desire to be stripped of anything that would cause us to miss the kingdom. To miss eternal life. So Father, shake us down. Strip us bare of anything we are holding on to outside of You and Your Son. Who alone gives birth from above, new life again, and salvation for all of eternity. And when Jesus, when You save, how You save. May our thoughts, may our dependence, be holy upon you. And Holy Spirit, I do pray that if there is one individual, even one, save them today. Birth them from above. Cause them to see their need for Jesus. Grant them faith then, having been birthed anew, to believe and to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so experience new life in the kingdom. But may they look to you. May they understand that if in their mind and in their heart there is a tugging right now, a desire to believe, a desire to surrender, a desire to confess, that is of you. That is a mark of a new birth. A baby gasping for its first breath because it has been born. Give them the understanding as to what's transpiring and the faith to respond to the birth they've been given. We love You, Lord Jesus. We thank You for Your kind, Your gentle, and yet Your very direct truth to Nicodemus and to us. May we not fail to understand it and to believe it. For we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.